Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. And the 0-1 pitch, a swing and a fly ball. Left center field, Meadows will make the catch. Here comes Santana, it is not in time, and the Red Sox are going to the ALCS. Kike Hernandez delivers with a sacrifice fly here in the ninth inning. And the Boston Red Sox have knocked the Tampa Bay Rays out of the playoffs. And the Red Sox are going to the American League Championship Series. Well, if that doesn't bring a smile to your face, the Red Sox, the gritty underdog Red Sox, pulling out a win over Kevin Barker's Tampa Bay Rays. Mr. Barker. God, I hate this song, too. Mr. Barker, the... Uh, <laughs> well, look, I, I think we, we, we <laughs> thought that this would quite likely be the first series to be over. I think that's that's safe to say. Uh, Barker, you're unusually excited. Uh, oh, oh. You're unusually excited for this. This is such a, it's just such a brutal song. But anyhow, we thought this series would be the first over. Uh. Some of us, I don't want to mention names, but some of us predicted a race sweep <laughs> in this series. So, Kevin Barker, I'm going to ask you, why the hell are the Boston Red Sox still in the postseason? Well, there's a lot of reasons. They're, they're, they're a, they have a really good lineup. The, they have a really good manager. You know, I was one of the guys that, that would raise my hand and say the manager didn't mean as much. Well, on this team, it does. He, this team buys into what Alex Cora is selling. Uh, you know, that they we've seen Amer- his American League team bunt. Like, we've seen that more than one time. They bunted last night in the ninth inning. Like, to, to move a runner to second base, and then they get an infield swing and bunt single, and then they walk it off on a sack fly. It's just little things that... You know, when the manager's putting the sign on, there's no questions being asked. There's, you know, I saw Vasquez one time because the runner at first base wasn't paying attention, and he would whistle down and say, pay attention to the third base coach. How many American League teams do you see do that? So, you know, there, there's a lot of reasons. It's, yeah, and you throw in the fans. You, you go to Fenway, that home field advantage is is a big part of it. You you saw the Rays go in there. Brandon Lau, you know, where's, where's he at? Now, you, I think we can come to the realization that Brandon Lau, after his 0 for 18 with nine punches, is not a big-time player. He, he's, he's a regular season player who might hit 40 homers, but when push comes to shove, him hitting third in your, in your lineup, you're probably not going to get a ton from him. And, you know, it's, it's a, a combination of, of that plus what the Red Sox are trying to do and, and, and that, you know, that, that manager that they have just – is sort of leading the pack, and then whatever he says goes, and they go out and do it, and they win games because of it. Yeah, I got to say this. You know, th- this is and, – and I keep bringing this up whenever people start whining about baseball's playoff structure. And I understand there are two separate arguments here. There's The one argument is that you need to expand the playoffs, which I think is just stupid. Uh, and the other argument is – you need to reseed teams after after the postseason. The postseason has been set. In other words, 
ensure that the the team with the best record plays the team with the the worst record, et cetera, et cetera, regardless of whether that team qualified for the wild card or or, or won its division. Here's the thing about baseball's playoff format that, Kevin, I think makes it perfect, and I would not like it to be changed at all, is the Red Sox are the prime example to me of a team that has to fight its way into the postseason as the wild card team and essentially play a week's worth of playoff games. You know, we're talking about, and rightfully so, we're talking about Alex Cora's use of his starters in relief. You know, we're talking about the, I mean, has any pitcher received a bigger vote of confidence than Eduardo Rodriguez this year? Yeah. Being, being tabbed to start the fourth game uh, of that series, the potential clinching game. But the thing is, if you look back to the final Sunday of the regular season, Alex Cora managed that game like a playoff game. He had Nick Pavetta in relief. He had Eduardo Rodriguez in relief. The, the, the whole we will do whatever it takes to win philosophy that the Red Sox didn't have to turn a switch on once the playoffs started. They have been playing baseball that way for a while. And you can make the case that so of the, so of the New York Yankees, but see that to me is the difference with a team that clinches first place. And I'm not saying the Rays breezed into the playoffs, but they certainly didn't have a great deal of pressure on them going into that final week. That's a difference between a team that was able to kind of coast in and a team that had to, you know, had to do whatever it could to win. I don't know if this can keep up. I don't know if they can continue to get four innings out of, I mean, what did Nick Pavetta throw in a 72 hour span? 140 uh, pitches. Uh, 140. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if that, I don't know if that's going to work. <laughs> I don't know if that'll work yeah. in the next series or the world series. But my, my point is that's the way the Red Sox have been playing this gig now for two weeks. Kevin. Yeah, I guess. They, and they, I think there's something to be said for that. Yeah. They got a great, they got a great lineup. They got great balance. JD Martinez is hitting sixth in their lineup. They have experience. Kiki Hernandez, you go, you go down the line. They got a superstar endeavors. Uh, they're impossible to uh, maneuver around that lineup, especially one through six. You know, who who do you pitch around to pitch to the next guy, especially in Fenway Park with that short porch and left? Uh, you, you know, uh, it, it's just one of those things for me where when the manager is sort of telling guys just buy into this and they go out and actually perform it. And, and you know, I'm not saying do what the manager says, but the, there's no pushback. There is okay, if you want a starter to go out and give you four innings, I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to be pumped up. I'm going to feed off the crowd. I'm going to throw a little bit harder. My breaking stuff's going to be a little bit better. I'm going to have a good finish to my to all my pitches. I'm going to go a little deeper, give this team a chance to win. You know, on the flip side of that with the Rays, in the, in the last two games in Boston, the Rays used 17 pitchers. No pitchers in the three, in the three losses. No pitcher in the three losses pitched more than three innings. The one win that they had was McClanahan. He went five innings. That for me, th- this this way, the 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 Rays way, that's going to work in the in the regular season because they go up against teams that are not very good, who can't game plan, who can't adjust to what they're trying to do against that certain lineup. And the Rays can attack that. They they can miss and still get people out when push comes to shove. And and you need length, and you need your manager to always make the right move. It's just it's impossible to go to 17 different guys in two games 
and not one of them have a bad outing. And McClanahan in, in yesterday's start or yesterday's third inning had that bad bad outing, and that's how they lost the game. But you know, it, it's it's just a combination of a bunch of things, and and the the the, the Red Sox can be a handful. No matter if they're facing the White Sox or the Astros. The Red Sox don't know any better. They just think they're really good. And, and oh, by the way, they used the popcorn thing. They used the mm. Rays coming in thinking that they were going to get champagne after the first win and or after the after it was tied 1-1 in Boston when they came in. They used that. They, that's bulletin board material. It's a veteran team who's been there and done it, but just little things to go, okay, you want to do that? We're going to go out and show you. And it's just, it was, look, my, my, both of my eyes were glued to the TV. I, I couldn't leave. I couldn't get up. My son was yelling at me, go get me this, Daddy. And I just couldn't, I, I couldn't wait to see the next yeah. guy come to the plate, the next guy throw the pitch. It was an exciting series for me to watch. We are going to take a deeper dive into this series with Rob Bradford of WEEI uh, later on in the show. And also Pete Walker, Blue Jays pitching coach, will join us. You can text us at 590-590 if you've got questions for Pete. And uh, Mark Boffo, our uh, producer, will uh, go through those texts. Again, 590-590 is the text line. Kevin, you mentioned Brandon Lau. He, going back to the start of last year's playoffs, he's 9 for 100. Ugh. In his career, in his career, postseason, he's 13 for 120 with five home runs, one double. Um. Is Brandon Lau a choker? Yeah, you could. I, cho, choker is a is a strong word, but it's it's when the lights are the brightest. You can tell. I, I watched him. I tried to figure out if if mechanically he looked different. If Did the he Red do Sox, anything different mechanically? Not, not with that his I noticed. Hands or all all that stuff you and Brian Anderson were talking. Yeah, about. Yeah, not that I noticed. It they just looked to me like he he missed pitches by a foot. Uh, it looked like he didn't have a good game plan. It looked like he was hitting off his heels a lot, which would mean that you know maybe his timing was a little off. But that just screamed the moment was too big for him. Like like the, the, there's small sample sizes. You know you can go 0 for 18 with nine punches. That's a bad four games. But then yeah, you but nine add for 100 bad. There you go. That that's a huge sample size, and and that gets into that mix where. You know, you're almost thinking if the Rays make the playoffs next year, he's on the roster, but he ain't hitting third, second, third, fourth, or fifth in my lineup. If if I'm Kevin Cash, he's hitting somewhere towards the bottom of that. You you have to be getting other guys more at bats than Brandon Lau, and that's a shame. He he had a really good year. You could tell he made some adjustments on the elevated fastball. You could tell he put a lot of effort into you know what he did last year coming into this year's playoffs. He he'd put a lot of thought into that. We had Brian on. You could tell they'd had conversations with Brandon about you know he'd actually been thinking about approaches at the plate. It just gets down to you know can you see ball hit ball when the lights are the brightest? And maybe he's just one of those guys that can't do that. Uh. Boy, there's so much to talk about out of that that series. Um, you know, I wish we had. I wish you had more time just to focus on it. Of course, there's that play with Hunter Renfro, the ball bouncing off his hip that everybody got up in arms about it, and you know, changed the rule and all this. I, I we're not we don't see it that often. Um, but I'll tell you, if I'm if I'm Tampa, it's the thirteenth inning of a game at Fenway Park, and something like that happens. I, I'm almost looking around and going, okay, maybe, maybe this isn't meant to be. Uh, but, but I have to ask you this, Kevin. Like this is okay. The Rays have gone to the World Series last year, and they lost in the World Series. They 
got first place this year in the American League East, and they were eliminated in the first round. I want to ask you this. Does this suggest to you, and let me figure out how to, how to phrase this properly, does this suggest to you that in reality the American League East might be a lot closer than we think it is from first to fourth? I, I well, I, I'm not real sure about that. I think you got really good four really good teams who are all trying to get to the same place and all trying to do it in four different directions. But look, I, I think it will tell you that it's it's very hard to win in the playoffs. What you do in the regular season, yeah, there, there's meaning to that. That'll you know that seeds you, that puts you where you want to be, that gives you home field advantage. But actually going and and performing and and having guys step up when it matters the most, you can't teach that. And and that's that's sort of what the Red Sox are doing now. That experience that they have with Schwarber and and Kiki and and JD Martinez. Just look at the lineup how it how it was after he came back after the first game. It just looked different. That their their approaches were different when they went home and and Verdugo was inside out in balls because he could use the green monster to his advantage. Just just it's just little things like that that an experienced lineup does and. You know, you, you feed off that. You feed off the guy in front of you. The guy, in, the, behind, the guy behind you in that lineup gives you better pitches to hit when you're hitting in front of them. And there's something to that. I, I just, you know, that's a difficult question to answer what you gave. But I will say, in the playoffs, you can throw away all the stats. You can throw away all the bullpens. You can, you know, how much better that bullpen is than the other bullpen. Oh, I can tell you this. The, the Red Sox in this series, their bullpen was better than the Rays' bullpen. Plain and simple. Yeah, I, I, I want to ask you about Shane McClanahan, but, uh, but I also want to go back to game three. And we got to say this, because, yes, the Christian Vasquez walk-off was terrific. And, of course, there was the play with Hunter uh, Renfro, the ball bouncing off the wall, uh, hitting the ground, then bouncing off his hip over the fence. And, and, and uh, you know, the, 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 the umpire's application correctly, as it turns out, of of the rule book but i wanted to ask you about that that game in particular the Rays pitchers let the leadoff man reach base each of the first six innings in that game um they huh, struck out 20 times and they were one for nine with runners in scoring position i i, I think what will really yeah there was some pitching decisions that didn't go their way. But I really do think at the end of the day, Kevin, the Rays are going to look back at that and go, we had we had chances. I mean, they had chances to win that series in three games. They really did. They yeah. had a lot of opportunity. Yeah, well, offensively for the Rays, they punched out 41 times in, th- in the three losses. That's a lot of punch outs. Like the, the, the all or nothing approaches that they had is, at this time of the year, it's very hard. Like it, it just gives... You know, uh, rotations and bullpen arms that are, you know, not equal to you when it comes to quality of the pitches and all those kind of things. When your lineup is is striking out and it's you don't have to make the quality pitch after quality pitch over and over and over again because you're too aggressive. You go outside the strike zone, those kind of things. And then and the Red Sox started feeding off that. They started expanding a little bit and. You tip your hat to the pitching staff of the Red Sox when it comes to pitching to the Rays lineup. And on the flip side of that, you give the, the Red Sox lineup credit. They went up and had quality at bats. They had an approach. They had an idea of what they wanted to do. Stay in the big part of the field. Look at the green monster. Use that. You don't have mm-hmm. to overswing. If you stay inside a ball, if you're a left-handed hitter and you barrel up something with a little bit of backspin, you don't have to hit a ball 110 miles an hour off your bat. Because of that, that can give you a, a good approach that way, keeps you short and quick. And, and 
I, for me, I, we could go through all of this. We could go through what the Rays didn't do. We could go through what what the the you know the the Red Sox as a whole did. What their manager did. Quite frankly, the Red Sox were a better team down the stretch oh, here when it mattered the most. Yep. Over the certainly over the last. Yep. Uh, yeah. W- without question. Um, I think I think that you, you have to say that that and then in this series in this series they did more of what they had to do to win the Tampa Bay did any issue with Shane McClanahan being brought in out of the bullpen by Kevin Cash yesterday I I that's kind of it's it, it's kind of silly to second guess how Kevin Cash uses his pitchers only because that's kind of what they've I mean that's the Rays way but you know this is a team that didn't have Tyler Glasnow and it's a team that didn't go out at the deadline and add another veteran starter. Do you think that caught up to them? Maybe uh, a, a too much of a reliance on youth? You know, the Drew Rasmussen's, the Shane McClanahan's in yeah. particular. Well, Shane, you know, what's, what's it, 14 innings out of the pen in, in the playoffs, giving up nine runs. Maybe he's not a bullpen arm. Maybe the routine, maybe the stuff mm-hmm. doesn't play. Maybe he can't use his third pitch. Maybe the finish is not there. Maybe the adrenaline thing works against him. He's a young guy, hadn't been there and done it before, experienced. They ask a lot. I mentioned the 17 pitchers they've used the last two games. They ask a lot from every single one of these guys to go out and be perfect every single time they pitch against a really good lineup on the road. Well, pitching to half the field because you're trying to keep it away from the, the short porch and left field at Fenway Park. Did I have an issue with it? I looked. McHugh, basically, he didn't want McHugh to face the top of the order, which was Schorber, twice. That's basically what that comes down to. And you're trying to bring your lefty in who throws a bazillion miles an hour, who can expand with a secondary pitch, who maybe at that time out of the bullpen can't use a third pitch and will have a hiccup command-wise. And when you miss to a superstar, you know, he's one pitch away from getting out of that. But he threw a superstar, yeah. a fastball, right. right down the middle, oh, oh, and a superstar this time of the year doesn't miss those kind of pitches, and he made him pay for it. So, I, I, you know, I, I, it? You, 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 you are what you are, you die with what you are, and that's what happened to the Rays this time of the year. What was it our friend Ned Coletti said, uh, said last week about the playoffs and how if you're a smart ball player, you will pay attention to, to what happens to you in the playoffs because that will show you your weakness more than anything else because in the postseason, everybody zeroes in on your weakness. There's multiple sets of eyes in what you do. Yep. Uh, there is no – you're not getting ready for the for the next series. You're getting ready for the next game or the next at-bat. And I wonder if maybe if maybe that wasn't – that isn't something that this, this group can grow on because, look, there's – I mean, Wander Franco, Randy Arena. there's a lot – there's a lot good about the Rays. The Rays aren't going to go away anywhere. But yeah. I, I really wonder about. I really wonder, particularly about Brandon Lau. If if you're the Rays, I don't know, Kevin. Do you look at moving moving on from this guy? Well, I don't you know. Got he, infield, you got infield depth. You do. He's but he's one of the main reasons why you got to where you're at. You know, you don't you don't abandon that. You just it's you don't hit him third. You don't hit him second. You don't lead him off when the lights are the brightest, because he's obviously his at-bats will tell you he's having issues with that. I, you know, look, I'm not in, in the clubhouse. I'm not in the dugout. They, they'll they break down every time he swings, every take he has. But just watching him, watching how he swings at pitches, he missed pitches by feet. You know, yeah. good, great hitters at this time of the year don't miss pitches by feet. And that, for me, will tell you that maybe the lights are too bright. And he's on my team. 
because he got you here. He helped get you here, but he ain't hitting at the top of the order. He's hitting at the bottom of the order. I have to have other guys getting more at bats than him, but gets back to the mix of, you know, how, how can you have in your three losses a starting pitcher or any pitcher not go three innings and expect to win this time of the year? Mm. For me, it's just not going to happen. It's just not going to work. It puts it puts astronomical amounts of pressure, not only on the guys that are in your pitching rotation or in your bullpen, but your manager over there. You can tell Kevin Cash was like, uh, he, he's, look, it, they're the khakis. They, they know it before everybody else knows it. But, man, like sooner or later he's going to go to the wrong guy, and he did go to the wrong guy. There are three other series still ongoing, of course. The Red Sox are waiting for the winner of the Astros-White Sox series for the uh, ALCS. And uh, Houston is leading that series two games to one. That game goes today. There's a lot of drama around that series. We'll get into it. We'll get into it later. Kevin Barker, does this mean anything to you at all? Dusty Baker, manager of the Houston Astros, is where is that stat? Five and sixteen in elimination games. Does that mean anything to you? Dusty Baker? Five wins, sixteen losses in clinching games. Dusty. No, he's got Lance McCullers Jr. going uh, and Ryan. Ryan Tapera opened his mouth and gave him a little bulletin board material in the clubhouse. And Verdugo on MLB Network last night came out and said that matters. You know, that they, they had an issue with the popcorn eating and, and the ordering champagne before the thing was over. It's bulletin board stuff. And Ryan Tapera opened his mouth. The, for me, the White Sox got momentum. You know, their bullpen showed up at home. They play much better at home. Their offense showed up. And that crowd was nuts. That's home field advantage. And then Ryan DePere came out and opened his mouth. So I think for me, it's more about that than it is that stat you just read off. The Brewers and the Braves, game four of that series will be at 515. All these games will be on Sportsnet. We're going to talk about Jock Peterson later later on. Kevin, I, I mean, I'm with you. The hardest thing to do in baseball is pinch hit. I don't know what it says to be able to hit a couple of pinch hit home runs. Same same pitcher, too, which I find really interesting. We'll talk about that. And, of course, the Giants and the Dodgers, we got to talk about that uh, that game as well, and we'll do that later on. Gavin Lux, any other day, Kevin Barker, that last swing of the bat, that's a home run. Any other day. But, man, the wind was blowing in. It did, uh, it did the Giants a huge favor. Cred- credit the Giants, though, too. The Giants, the Giants... And, and again, the series isn't over. They're leading two games to one. But, Kevin, the Giants just seem to have an answer for everything right now, whether it's their defensive positioning, whatever it is. They're, they are making there's, – there's not a lot of margin for error here, and the Giants seem to be making every play, and they seem to have everything yeah. going for them They, right they believe, and all, on top of it, they're getting luck. That's, that's, a, that's a scary oh, combination. That, that Brandon Crawford catch. Yeah, I, he just said, like, he was asked in the post-game interview how, about how great it was. He said, yeah, I don't know, I just jumped. <laughs> like, what else am I going to do? I don't know if it was great. It really wasn't that big a deal. I just jumped and, and, and put my glove up. Uh, Pete Walker is the Toronto Blue Jays pitching coach. He will join us next. You're listening to Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, The Fan.
He is the pitching coach of the Toronto Blue Jays and uh, is one of our favorite guests. And uh, we've been lucky to have Pete Walker on a couple of times in season, and we appreciate him joining us uh, today during the offseason. Pete, thank you so much for doing this. We trust you're doing well and that uh, family's good and all is all is ship shape. Um, boy, you know, a lot of things I want to talk to you about, and it, the first thing I thought about this hearing, um, hearing Ross Atkins and his media availability at the end of the year, talking about the uh, just the things the Blue Jays had gone through this year and how proud he was of the organization and the adjustments that had to be made. And, and, and it seems to me that one of the things we maybe haven't talked about enough is the adjustment the coaches had to make. And, and, you know, in particular, I'm thinking of yourself and the hitting coaches. You know, you had different... Uh, in addition to dealing with different personalities, you're dealing with different ballparks, different set of circumstances. Tell us a little bit about what this year was like for you in terms of workload and and focus. Well, well, first of all, Jeff, uh, Kev, thanks for having me on. It's always great talking to you guys, and uh, I enjoy it. But uh, yeah, it was it was a crazy year. I mean, you, you look back at where we started and how things how things transpired over the course of the season, and it was uh, challenging to say the least. You know, I think as coaches, as players, you know, you look at the front office and all the maneuvering that they had to do throughout the season, trying to figure out where we're going to be playing, uh, how many series we're going to be playing, and then moving from one place to another. Um, you know, the family situations was tough for a lot of the players, uh, you know, with young kids, and, and, you know, the circumstances were not easy, you know, because you can't just, uh, you know, settle in somewhere. So, uh, obviously, from a, from a coaching standpoint, a playing standpoint, it wasn't the easiest situation. I thought the guys did an amazing job. Honestly, when I, when I think back and look back, there was no complaining. There really wasn't. I mean, that's not, I can't, that can't be overstated enough. Guys went with the flow. They handled it professionally. And, you know, obviously the results weren't what we wanted in the end. But I, I think, you know, if, if we had played in Toronto all season, I, I honestly feel from the bottom of my heart, we'd be, we'd be still in the postseason right now. Um, that's just that's just what the home home crowd does and the home field advantage does, because we really didn't have that up until the end of the season. But, you know, it, it was not easy, you know, moving from place to place. And Dunedin obviously was a band box. It was good for hitters and not good for pitchers. And that's always a complaint of mine. Uh, but, you know, Buffalo wasn't much better. Uh, but I thought our guys did a great job from pitching standpoint. And obviously our offense was was tremendous this year. Um, you know, it's just, it's disappointing. There's no other way to put it. I think it's, it's, you know, it's, it's disappointing where we ended up, but looking back at it, it's, it's, I think it's miraculous how well this team did. Whenever I was a player, I, I can remember having conversations with my coaches at the end of the year. And, you know, you go over things that you did well. You go over things you did you didn't do so well. Get your thoughts on yeah. the conversations you, you would have with certain guys. You know, the older guys, you're not going to have as many conversations. They've been there and done it before. They know routines, what they're going to do in the offseason, when yeah. they're going to start their oh, yeah. routines and all those kind of things. But very specific, Alec Manoa. Yeah, he's taking strides forward. Yeah. We had no idea what he was going to be and what he could do. And no. he sort of solidified his position next year coming in. Well, what was your conversation with him at the end of the season? Yeah, I mean, it was what he did was awesome. You know, I was just looking at his numbers again, just kind of refreshing my memory before I came on. I mean, I know where his innings were and everything else, but his numbers were were awesome. I mean, I, I think of what we what he did – you know, coming with his background and having limited professional experience to come to the major leagues and, and make an impact like he did, you know, going nine and two and, and having a tremendous ERA and, 
hits per innings and strikeouts, all that stuff. So he, he did some great things. Um, you know, he handled it, I guess, you know, without having the experience in the background at the major league level, he didn't, he didn't know any better. So whatever happens, you know, just kind of was new to him. <laughs> so I think it was tougher on some of the veteran guys going through what they did this year with the routines and, and having to, having to, you know, change their routines and, and do some, do some different things. But, you know, for Alec coming in and, and doing what he did, it was, it was special. And, you know, He's he's something else. He's he's fun to be around. He, he's a great team guy. He, he blended in with the veterans nice. Uh, I think our our you know position players loved playing behind him, and I think that's the greatest compliment you can have as a pitcher when your when your teammates and your position players love to play behind you. They love when it's your turn to pitch because they know you're going to give us a good chance to win, and and that's what he did. He's just an extreme competitor that has that has tremendous stuff. Any chance a windup would help him? I know a couple of times the finish. The, the short, you know, glove, hand, that, that thing firing yeah. towards the target. Yeah. You know, I used to try and hit yeah. early on that, that little deception that you could add with a windup. That, would that help him early on in games? You mean he wasn't good enough for you? Well, I mean, look, look, we, we get <laughs> pretty good. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, but, you know, we get greedy here. We, you, see, you see that he could no, be I superstar kind of. Right? Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I get you. I'm, I'm kidding. I, I Obviously, having that full windup and that good flow to the delivery is important for some people, but he's really uh, – and you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, he just keeps it simple. Obviously, with runners on base and scoring position, um, there's no change to his delivery. He can just be a little bit quicker at times. So, you know, there's something to be said about that. You know, I, I've always been a fan of the full windup and, and having two distinct deliveries, you know, the full windup from the stretch, but – but I do understand uh, the idea behind just simplifying and having one delivery, and it does make things better. It does make it easier to repeat at times for, for big bodies and, and big guys that have a lot of moving parts. So for him, um, it, it works. You know, we made a couple of small adjustments throughout the course of the season with him, but for the most part, you know, he kept his delivery simple. You know, we moved him on the rubber a little bit, which helped him get in the strike zone because he was more of an, an, arm, an arm side miss guy at times. So we're trying to get him in the, in the box a little bit more, and I think that helped. But, you know, I, I, I do understand your question. I think for some guys it definitely works, but for, for other guys it doesn't. And uh, looking at the season he had and the, the, the consistency, I think, towards the end especially is, is something we'll continue to build on. Uh, are, you, are you and the organization, but you in particular, Pete, any closer to knowing yeah. what you have with Nate Pearson? Yeah, I think so. I mean, obviously, it's been a frustrating path for Nate. You know, we talk a lot, and, and obviously this year didn't go as planned um, again. Um, we certainly think he can start. I mean, I think that's, you know, we'd be foolish not to continue to think that way uh, because of the possibilities with him being a 100-mile-an-hour fastball with good break and stuff. Obviously, it hasn't transpired and, and, and you know, kind of translated, I guess, on the, on the major league field um, over, uh, you know, innings. But he showed out of the bullpen what he can do. Obviously, that's, that's an option. But, you know, I think they'll be selling him short a little bit right now. I still, you know, there's still a, a, a high ceiling for, for Nate. And I, I believe, you know, he can start in the big leagues. It's, can, he, can he help us in the short term in the pen? There's no doubt. I mean, we saw it. And if we had him all year in the pen, who knows, right? But. Um, I also think if we had him in the in the rotation all year, who knows? So there's still some question marks there, but I I think as an organization uh, we'd be premature, you know, uh, just saying, oh, he's he's better in the pen and that's it, you know, to uh, to get him to to help us out at the major league level. Um, that's something we'll continue to monitor and, and watch. And but I think preparing for next year, we'd still like to extend him out and, and try to build up his innings. 
and see where he can help us. And if, if it turns out it's in the bullpen long-term, great. But for now, I think we'll continue to extend him out. And I, I still think there's a tremendous upside for Nate. And uh, I, I, we, haven't, we haven't seen it for sure. But hopefully, hopefully we do, because I think this uh, Toronto would love to see him, uh, you know, throwing 200 innings and uh, dominating. Uh, it just hasn't hasn't happened yet. Yeah, with uh, with Hunter and Ryu, is there any one thing in the off season you'd like to see him improve on coming into spring training? It, yeah, I mean, I think with Hunter, I think it, it it was just kind of a crazy year. I mean, obviously, you know, we were we were forced into using him uh, consistently. Uh, I think because of our situation uh, with the starters and, and so forth. But I think next year we'll monitor his innings a little bit more. Um, we'll talk to him uh, as we did this year, but uh, I think we'll, we'll monitor his innings a little bit. And I think just continuing to, you know, come into camp in the best shape possible, uh, you know, looking, looking to really um, – uh, get himself back on track consistently. I think we made some adjustments towards the end of the season, which helped. I think his delivery got a little out of whack uh, with his shoulders and his hips, and I think he understands that. And I think, you know, at the end of the year, the last two outings, I know the uh, the second to last one didn't go great uh, from a number standpoint, but I thought he threw the ball well his last two outings. I thought his changeup was better. I thought his location was better. I thought his, his fastball command getting in on right-handers was better. So those are the things we'll continue to work on. And next year, I think now after really seeing him over an entire season, I, I understand him even better and, and know what he needs to do to be successful. I think our organization does as well. And, and our communication level is better. So next year, I expect him to get right back on track. I expect to have a great spring training. And, and I think you'll see the old Hunjin Ryu. We've got Pete Walker for a few more minutes. If you have some text, you can send it to us at 59590. Um you talked about maybe understanding Hyunjin Ryu a little better now because you've had that full season. Considering the fact that we went from a 60-game regular season plus, plus playoffs to a 162-game season, Pete, are you yeah. are you surprised? I'm not going to ask you if you're surprised that the starters were able to stay as healthy as they did because by doing that, yeah. I'm going to jinx things. But you know the carnage, at least at least for starters, at least for starters, the carnage that a lot of us thought we were going we were going to see, we didn't necessarily see. I agree with you. I mean, I I look, you know, I don't know exactly the numbers across baseball, but I think we were fortunate. You know, we look at Hunter Ryu and and Alec Manoa and Robbie Ray and Steven Matz. You know, Steven Matz had the COVID thing, but that was it. Um, Jose Barrios, even between Minnesota and here, you know, no hiccups. Um, yeah, it was, I guess it was surprising. I mean, nobody really knew going in what, what that would do. Um, but I think we handled it very well as an organization. I think, you know, uh, we were fortunate, uh, to keep those guys healthy. And, you know, it's just one of those things. I don't, you know, there's certain questions I don't think we'll ever be able to answer. Um, I expected it to be a little bit tougher than it was from a starting standpoint. Obviously there were some reliever injuries along the way, but you know, that's, that seems to be a, a natural occurrence, unfortunately, uh, for bullpens and relievers, you know, and, uh, but, you know, keeping our starters healthy was huge. And, and I think we did a great job, you know, our, our high performance group and our strength group uh, did a great job monitoring these guys, keeping them, keeping them in shape and, and staying on top of any deficiencies that might pop up. And I think we've gotten better at that. And I, I really do believe that our group is, is very, very good uh, at staying in, in communication with each other, talking to the players, monitoring them, and, and, and being aggressive. I mean, I don't think we were conservative by any stretch. I look at maybe in, in the past in baseball, it's, uh, I think some teams have made mistakes by being so conservative and so protective, where I think we've become more aggressive. 
and, you know, really listening and monitoring the player. And I think that's made a big difference. Yeah, it's interesting you say that, too, because one of the things I really noticed about this staff, and maybe it was I really noticed it with Jose Barrios in particular, Pete, is they're pretty athletic. You know, even your big guys. Like, Ryu is not, you know, Ryu's not, people aren't going to look at Ryu and think that he's going to win a decathlon or anything like that. But these guys are good athletes, aren't they? (laughs) They are. And I think, you know, again, in baseball, I think they're looking at, you know, athletes in general. I know we are. And and I think the guys we have are very athletic, and it does help, you know, fielding their position, uh, maintaining their throwing programs, having good athleticism and and fluidity to their deliveries is important. Um, But, yeah, I think we're, again, maybe we're fortunate in that area. But I think, you know, our guys have done a really good job staying on top of it. And, again, having some veteran guys who have done it before always helps because they know their routine, um, you know, and, and monitoring them is a little bit easier. But I do believe, you know, it's it's a testament to the home group, you know, and they stand top of each other. They, they kind of uh, police each other, making sure they're doing their work, as you know, as we do as well. And I think it was good for Alec, like a guy like Alec Manoa, and, and even Nate Pearson in, in the end coming up and seeing how these veteran guys do it and stand top of things. Yeah, you you mentioned all that, and I thought of Jordan Romano and and hearing him talk about routines. Yeah. Was it just as simple as him finding a routine that works for him to be able to maintain the velocity, the stuff, and to be able to come out and basically yeah. dominate? Yeah, he was he was awesome. I know we're talking about the starters, but the relievers. I hate I hate you know overlooking them because Romano, Meza, Simber, Richards were awesome, yep. and having those guys, knowing that that's our core moving forward, makes me makes me real happy. You know, and we can build around that. Um, but I think, you know, Jordan was exceptional. I mean, he's an animal. He's so much fun to be around, believe it or not. He looks, you know, he looks so serious and mean out there, but, but he's a great guy. He works hard. He knows what he needs to do. Uh, you know, Matt Bushman's done a great job with, with, with Jordan as well. I know he spent a lot of time with him and, you know, but he's just such a competitor. He wants the ball. He knows what he needs to do. And, And his stuff, again, it was, it was his, probably better than it's ever been at the end of the season. And his confidence level is just through the roof. So, you know, I'm putting him in, in an elite category when you think of closers and guys who finish out a game right now. And he's, he's as good as anybody out there. So watching him grow into that role is pretty, pretty cool. And, and again, Mesa and Richard and Simber were, were critical in us turning the corner and making a run at the end for sure. Uh, we've seen a lot of in the playoffs. We've seen a lot of aggressive managing um, Alex Cora in particular, and a lot of it obviously is a product of necessity. It's not. I don't think guys are always trying to reinvent the wheel. A lot of a lot of times, it's yeah. it's forced on you. But uh, yeah. fr- from what we've seen, do you, do you ever? I mean, if, are you watching this postseason and thinking, okay, if that was me and we had to do that, like who would our Nick Pavetta be? Would we? do with Alec yeah. Manoa what the Rays did with Shane McClanahan. Like, I'm, I'm just wondering how you watch these games. Because there's got to be almost a sense yeah. of amusement at some times in your part when you see this. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's, you're always surprised, I think, especially year to year now with things changing and, and how, how things are done and how other organizations look at look at those kind of moves. I think we've been pretty creative as, a, as an organization. Again, we were fortunate with our starting rotation, you know, kind of throwing out five guys there for the most part and, and throwing six innings a night uh, at least, which was, which was incredible towards the end. Uh, but yeah, in the postseason, you know, it seems like you know the gloves are off and, and teams are doing whatever they need to do to win. I don't know if I agree with it at all. Um, there's some moves that I've seen so far that maybe I don't 100% agree with. But again, you know, you're not in their situation. You're not having uh, having discussions prior to the game on how guys are going to be used. 
and so forth and so on, who's available. But it's it's interesting. I mean, it, any way to win a ball game, you know, is, is seems to be the way we're going. Uh, but I do believe that you know some of the moves maybe are you know coming back to bite some of those organizations or teams right now, especially in the postseason. Uh, but it's also the way they've done things uh, the entire year. So I don't think they're going to change at this point. But it's, it is interesting. And I do watch. I don't enjoy watching right now as much as I'd rather be playing. Uh, it's not easy, you know, when you feel like you, your team is, is is good, if not better, than most of the teams that you're watching. So that's frustrating. But, um, uh, again, I, I think we would utilize our guys accordingly. I, I still love the traditional starters and so forth and trying to get deep. Um, and just monitoring that third time through, I think, is really what, what we should be doing. Um, and at that point, if there's a struggle, you make the move. Uh, but I, I, the predetermined, you know, where, where they're scripting it out uh, in, in some places is, t- is tough, tough to see. Um, I think we've always had the leeway here to, you know, we have a good idea of what we're going to do. But there's always that, the idea that, you know, obviously Charlie and myself and, you know, the other coaching staff can make those decisions um, and not feel like it's scripted out and something has to be done. So that, that's the way I enjoy it. Uh, I'm going to turn the last question over to a uh, texter. Tyler in London had a really good question for you. We are going into the off season, and his question is, you know, he'd be interested in knowing what you look for. And I'm going to call it in a reclamation project and, and what makes this organization yeah. so good at turning struggling pitchers around, which I think is an interesting question because everybody's looking for arms and yeah. sometimes you take a flyer. What do you look for? Pete, that would say to you, okay, this guy's worth our time, or conversely, yeah, yeah this might not work out? That's, that's a great question. It's something we do, I think we do a very good job of. You know, I think our, our, our guys, uh, our scouting department, our analytics group, um, front office as well, and then obviously, you know, Matt Bushman and myself get a chance to look at these guys and, and, and give our two cents for sure uh, as to what we could do, what we think they could do, how we could improve them, uh, you know, everything from, you know, catcher's positioning to, to maybe uh, changing the arsenal. You know, it could be they're using pitches that they shouldn't be using or they're, they're throwing pitches to certain locations that doesn't make any sense, you know, or they're getting pounded in certain areas. So um, those are the things we look at and, and find a way to maybe if we, if we made a couple of small adjustments, maybe in their pitch arsenal, you know, taking a pitch away, uh, possibly adding a pitch if we think they could do that. And, and all of a sudden, you know, you can create a different type, type of pitcher. And, and, you know, I think with, with some of the guys we've had come in here over the years, we've been able to do that. You know, you don't win them all. You, you certainly, there's certainly some, some failures along the way, right? But, but I think with, with those kind of projects, it's fun. And, and when the pitcher sees some results or sees something working, it's like, it's like, like the light bulb goes off. And all of a sudden they buy in and you have a very confident pitcher that's, you know, getting good results. So I think we've done a good job of that. We'll continue to do that. You know, obviously guys like Robbie Ray and Matsy, I, I love working with and, and want those guys back, you know, desperately like everybody else. Um, if we're, if it doesn't work out where we get those guys back, I'm, I'm sure there are other, other guys out there we could definitely work with and, and, and make better. Um, but that's, we've been, we've been good with that stuff. And obviously with, with some of the young pitching we have coming up. So you know, obviously, uh, uh, we we want to keep those guys, and it would be so much fun to do that. But you know, the business is the business, and you just you know you, you kind of see. You know, I kind of watch and, and listen throughout the off season and and see what direction we're going in. But if we have to, you know, so-called reclamation project or look for a guy, we'll we'll do our due diligence and find someone we can we can hopefully make better. Pete, really good of you to join us today. Thanks so much, as always. Thanks a lot, Petey. You guys.
got it, guys. It was fun. Anytime. Yeah, you're the best, Take buddy. Care. See you later. Thanks, man. It's Pete Walker, Blue Jays pitching coach. Um, yeah, he didn't want to give himself and, any uh, credit. Well, he didn't want no, to give himself great- any credit either about the question and, yeah. and you know, trying to, to – it's like sort of – you know, an example of that is Anthony Castro. Anthony Castro went outside the box. What's your best pitch? Walk up to him and go, what's your best pitch? Well, I think it's a slider. Well, throw your slider a bunch. It's real simple. But you got to mm-hmm. be a good salesman. you, you got to know how to sell it to people because it's their careers. And Petey is really good at drawing the line and, and, and knowing how to do that, knowing how to pull somebody aside and saying it's not only the best for you, but it's best for us as a team to get us where we want to go. And that's why, for me, Petey's one of the best, if not the best, pitching coach in baseball. Well, and and I would think, Kevin, that uh, you know, look, we I th- we're on the same page here. We'd love to have all the free agents back, but I, I will tell you this: uh, if and I think this gets to Tyler's point and why I, I I like the text so much, you know, if the Jays cannot re-sign Robbie Ray for whatever reason, if there are a lot of Robbie Rays out there, not a lot of Robbie Rays there there that are the way Robbie Ray is now, but there are a ton of guys who were like Robbie Ray was last year at the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. And, boy, if you can look at a guy, if you're, I don't know, pick a name, but let's say you are in your career where Robbie Ray was in 2020, and you're looking around and you're saying, let's see, I got an organization over there that plays its home games in an indoor facility, so my home starts are never going to be rained out. Yeah, it's in the east, and it's a tough pitcher's ballpark. I mean, there are things you have to balance out here. But then I'm looking at Pete Walker and going, boy, that guy helped make Robbie Ray a crap load of money. That guy took Steven Matz, mm-hmm. or at least had a hand in it, because you have to give the pitchers credit here too. But that guy took a guy in Steven Matz. Nobody knew what to make of Steven Matz. They looked at him as kind of this soft guy who would melt down on the mound. All of a sudden, there he is pitching in the American League East, pitching at Yankee Stadium, pitching at Fenway Park. And by the end of the year, as we talked about, if I'd said to you Stephen Matz is starting a playoff game, you'd go, okay, yeah. I, I, I'm, that's fine. I can live with that. So I wonder if maybe that in some ways isn't a good selling point as well for Pete and, and, and for the organization because as – as Ross and Mark have both said, let's be clear. The best free agent pitcher in baseball probably isn't going to come to Toronto. And as they said, not because it's Toronto, but because it's the American League East. You know, it is a, it is a ballpark that, you know, the ball does fly out at times. So realistically, if you are the Blue Jays, your pitching staff is going to be put together of guys you've drafted and developed guys you've traded for, or guys you've either really overpaid for and given more term to than you'd want to in Hyunjin Ryu, or a free agent you know, like, a, like another Steven Matz or another Robbie Ray, a guy who is kind of looking to establish himself. That's why having a guy like Pete Walker around and having Matt Bushman and those guys is so vital because it's a great natural resource. It, it, it's like it, a finishing school for pitchers. Yeah, but it is. But if you got Pete in the corner, backed him in the corner, and and said, you know, some, sometimes he needs a little break. Sometimes he needs some no-brainers. Oh, yeah. Sometimes it's uncle <laughs> enough that, you know, you need some guys in here that know what they're doing, that know when it's going awry they know how to fix it they don't need a pitching coach to say keep your front side in don't Mm -hmm. you know don't don't fly open as much down the mountain it's little small things that will you know you tell yourself 
that you don't need a pitching coach to do it. But I'm with you. You know, it's the Ross Striplings of the world. It's the Thomas Hatches of the world that Petey's really good at in season to be able to revamp an entire wind-up to be able to say, okay, this ain't working. Let's totally go away from that and do something else, and maybe we'll add a little deception. Maybe it'll get a little bit better finish. That's why I asked the question about Alec Mano. I knew the answer. I knew what he was going to say to me, but you got to ask it. And so he'll give you an answer of it's best for the player. Has nothing to do with, you know, he most really good pitchers have both. They add yeah. that deception that'll get them first time through the order, you know, when they don't have the best finish, when they don't have the best field or secondary pitches. That's why you add the windup to get all of those things going to, towards your target. But then there's guys like Alec Manoa who and Nate Pearson who are giant humans who just can't get it all together who have too many moving parts when it comes to a windup, and Pete understands that, and Pete understands the person, what they're thinking. There's, there's, a, lot See, goes, there's a lot goes to that. But there, I'll say this, there's a lot of pressure on Petey going into the next season because it's win time. Quite yeah, frankly, See, there, there's, there's no more of this development stuff. It's all about winning now. Well, I, I, I would make the exception. I think there's still going to be some development in pitching. Because I, they're they're not going to go into the year with five guys who are Cy Young contenders. You're going to need there will be at least one starting pitcher that will be a quote unquote project or somebody who isn't the finished somebody who isn't the finished product. One of the things that that Pete did really well this year. You mentioned Ross Stripling. People need to realize if you go back and look, and Anthony Castro, for example, you go back and look at those guys. It, there were times in the year where Ross Stripling gave you important innings. There were times in the year where Anthony Castro, maybe a couple of weeks, gave you some important innings. Even though, on balance, you know you probably don't want Anthony Castro back in your bullpen next year. But that's 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 also part of this equation. You're you're not always going to get guys who are good in opening day and good in game 162. There are going to be times where you're going to need somebody. You're going to need Ross Stripling to have three unbelievable starts. Then maybe he falls off the face of the earth and becomes Ross Stripling again. But at least he gave you those three starts, and that's one of the things this organization has done well. At times, they've gotten guys who aren't necessarily mainstays to give them three or four outings that matter, and that that's also part of the equation. And you know, further to your point and to Pete's point as well, that's why I think Jose Barrios is so so important. Yeah. Because you gotta have a guy at the front of the rotation to do what Mark Burley did when he was here. Set the standard in terms of how you pitch, how you work out, and that's why I love Barrios. He's a guy who stays healthy. It, we've we've heard Bo talk about Marcus Semien. Those guys are important. This is how we do things in this organization. This is how you have a long professional career. So I, I I think, with all due respect, I know there are a lot of people out there who love Robbie Ray, and I like Robbie Ray, and Pete Walker likes Robbie Ray. If you ask me right now, if the Jays came out of the offseason with a five-year deal, Jose Barrios, or a three-year deal for Robbie Ray, which one would I take? Give me Barrios over five, and I'm good to go. Yeah, yeah, I, I think the repeatability, I think Jose Barrios can get better. Another, a full season of Pete Walker, you know, we're a little biased here. I, you know, I, I love Pete Walker. I think he's a, he's a great salesman. He he can help with the grip on the changeup. He can make that a little bit better. 
uh, pitching away from certain parts of ballparks in the American League East. Petey can help Jose Barrios do that. And Barrios can match up against other American League number ones. And and that's the one thing for me because he has multiple pitches. When one's not working, goes something else. That That's... Yep. That's the one thing you get lefties and righties out and those things. They got something to build off of. And, oh, by the way, you got Alec Manoa, who's turning into sounds like and looks like a superstar. So there's your two guys. We haven't forgotten about the Giants and Dodgers, believe you me. We will talk about the Giants and Dodgers, the Brewers and the Brave as well. A look at the National League and Rob Bradford joins us to take one more look at those Boston Red Sox. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, the fan.